Good morning and welcome to Bite Size. My name is Oni Pollock and I'm your host on Wednesday mornings from 9 a.m., which is right about now, till 11 a.m. Eastern right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. This beat has me booming. Man, I love this song. Really a great choice, I think. Personally, objectively, no bias. What a great opening. Singing songs underneath the sun. Got to do some karaoke one day, huh? All right, folks. Good morning. My name is Yoni Pollock, the host of Bite Size. And we've got a strong, strong show for you today. I just want to keep this song just under for a lot longer than usual just because I dig it. I like it for today. Um, So you're just going to have to bear with me as the song goes on. Hopefully you're listening to me and not the song. But uh, we got a packed, packed show today. A little Thanksgiving edition. How? I'm not really sure. We'll have another two hours to figure out how we're going to tie Thanksgiving in. Uh, we have two interviews, though, for you this week. Joanna Shepson and Toba Kanak. We'll talk about those. Um, let's say towards the end of my opening, just in general. And then uh, our usual end of, the se- uh, end of the bite size segment will be back on uh, for this week with Miriam Alawalik. Uh, we will discuss something that I came across earlier this past weekend and something uh, I think she came across also. We'll discuss it. I think it's some good shtick. Whatever's going on there, some good, good stuff. All right, so what does Thanksgiving mean for you? The truth is, for Thanksgiving, for me, my family's never been much of a Thanksgiving family. I know some people say sad, they say whatever it is. Uh, I really can't remember growing up having anything in our house, at least, any sort of meal, any sort of... I mean, I'm sure my mom made turkey or something, but nothing like sit-down, crazy, fancy, maybe we went to friends. I I really just have no recollection of any big Thanksgiving memories. Since I've been out of the house, I've been doing... I mean, you know, I, I went to Cleveland, actually, for like four straight years by a friend of ours. Um, actually would have been there right now if, if we would have done it this year. We usually leave like Tuesday night, middle of the night, kind of drive through the night, get to Cleveland Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, Sunday... Have a good time. Thanksgiving football. They make a great Thanksgiving meal. The Cats is in Cleveland. And uh, some great... Those are really my my favorite Thanksgiving memories. And I thank them for that. But uh, personally, just growing up, never really had any. But what Thanksgiving does mean for me now really is is football. Uh, you know I host a sports show here on Monday mornings at 10 a.m. I'm a big football fan, basketball, base, you know, big sports fan. But football on Thanksgiving, you have three games. Uh, you could just sit down on your couch and just watch football. I like to play football first and then watch football. So why am I bringing that up? It's because I wanted to talk a bit about fantasy football. Now, I know a lot of people aren't into that, at least maybe our listeners, but I want you to to stay tuned in here because uh, I guess I'm going to give you a life lesson of some sort. But um, this week, we just finished week 11 in the NFL, and in fantasy football, about week 14 is usual is usually the start of many fantasy playoffs. So by week 11 you kind of have an understanding of where you are if you're going to make the playoffs, if you know, if you're a top seed, if you're out of the playoffs. And I I've been playing in now two fantasy football leagues for the last I want to say 3, 4, 5, 6 years even. Um I used to be, you know, back in high school I used to have, you know, four baseball, four basketball, four football, I used to be all over all of them. Since then I really only play about two baseball and, and two football. I've I've totally quit fantasy basketball and I don't mean this in a haughty way. I just I, I simply just got too good at fantasy basketball. I, I follow the sport a lot and I know what's going on and not all my friends in the league do as much and I'm constantly watching and tinkering. 
And I just developed a strategy that worked for me and and either won every year or was in the championship every year. And it just got boring. I, I quit. Fine. It, it, one year, actually, Hurricane Sandy here, when I was in YU, we were all kind of bored. We're just like, why don't we just draft the fantasy basketball league? And we did. And I was like, sure. Like, I really don't want to. But, like, I guess we got to pass the time somehow. So, I was like, I did it. I knew I would win. I, was in, I dominated the whole season. First place, I think I lost in the championship, which is going to come to my point here later on. Um, so that was really that for basketball, baseball. I've been in, I was actually growing up. If any, anyone knows what that is, I was in a dynasty league for years where I was also drafting minor league players, which is really maybe how I've come to love the game of baseball. I really like the minor leagues, which no, I mean, very few people follow, but, um, I've since left that league. I was in there from like, I think ninth grade till, till up to four years ago, whatever, really exciting, fun. But now I'm really only in two fantasy baseball leagues with friends. Um, one of whom I've dominated for the last three years. The other one I'm I'm figuring myself out. It's kind of different style league. Um, made the playoffs the last two years, but haven't done much. And then fantasy football, I've done right two leagues, two years, two leagues for the last several years. Last year I was in the championship in both and lost in both. Okay, the truth is, last year one of my teams was good, deserved it. The other team was was just not a good team. I'm first willing to admit it was not a good team. Somehow snuck into the playoffs, got lucky two straight weeks, and then lost in the championship which really was deserved, if we're being honest. This year, I have two teams, one of whom is in second place. The other one just missed the playoffs this week. After week 11, again, I am one of those teams where one of them is going to be in the playoffs, one of them is not. It's pretty certain, set, fine. This year, in my in that in that second, in that 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 league that I was just kicked out in, that I was just not kicked out, that I was just eliminated in, I just had really bad luck. It was, you know, Odell back in my first-round pick out for the year. Aaron Rodgers, my third-round pick, or actually I traded for him, the quarterback for the Packers, out for the year, which also ended up hurting Randall Cobb, Ty Montgomery, Montgomery being my third-round pick. Um, Rodgers I traded a lot for. It. So it was it, you know, a snowball effect with Rodgers getting hurt, hurt two of my other players. Um, Jordan Reed, someone I traded for. I don't think I've even started him once. I'm just scrolling through my roster here. In, in, in short, I just had a lot of injuries and also some, some tough luck in this league. You know, This week was, I mean, every week for the next three weeks was really a must win for me. And, and this week, I, it, just terrible luck. My, I, I actually have a very strong week, you know, fourth in, in points this week. But my team decided one guy got a concussion and my kicker, unheard of. Literally, I don't think this has happened in, in, in three, four years of me, you know, monitoring kickers, if you will. My kicker got a concussion in the first quarter, left me with just one point where he probably watching the game would have had probably 10 points, would have won me the week. My wide receiver, Kelvin Benjamin, first catch of the game in the first quarter, makes the catch, leaves the game with a leg injury, never to be seen. I had a strong week, but two of my, not key players, but one key player and and one whatever player, both got hurt in the first quarter, and that was that. My my tight end, I'm I'm watching the end of the Buffalo Bills-San Diego Chargers game. My tight end decides, you know what? It was, I think, third or second and goal on on the one-yard line. They throw him the ball. He catches the ball, touchdown. But he pushed off. They called offensive pass interference. Shoot, dang it. All right. Next play, they're like, all right, we'll go back to him. Wide open in the end zone. Ball literally goes, hits him in the numbers. If you know what that means, the jersey has numbers in the middle. It's literally the perfect spot for football to go. Hits him in the numbers, falls right through. He drops it. That would have been an easy 11-1-6. Uh, that would have been an easy 8.1 points. Would have won me the league. Didn't happen. My point is, such terrible, terrible luck this week and luck in the whole season. And something I've learned, at least from fantasy football, which is many a joke, but but... 
you know, I've actually learned it, is that life is simply not fair. It's simply not fair. A lot of things will break your way one year like it did for me last year, and a lot of things will just not break for you this year. But at the end of the day, it really all evens out. I believe that, you know, you'll have your bad your you'll you'll have your bad day on a Monday, on a Wednesday, whatever it is. It'll bounce back. It might not be the next day. You'll bounce back the next week. It's fine. It all evens out. Why I've learned that from fantasy football and not other things in life, I can't tell you. But I have. And uh, <laughs> I guess that's my opening. And thank you all for bearing for me. I told you, you're just going to have to suffer through this whole fantasy football spiel just to learn that lesson. And uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. And, and hopefully it turns things around for you. All right. Who else do we have on the show this week besides for fantasy football? We have Joanna Shepson's interview with Moshe Brani's a sofa in Israel. That comes up at about 9.30 a.m. Eastern. So almost 20 minutes, 22 minutes or so from now. And then Tova Knech's interview. Uh, that comes up at about 10 a.m. Eastern as we start our number two. I said number purposely, by the way, and that is with Miriam Gottlieb, the donor relations manager for the Hesder Yeshiva of Stay Road. Again, that's at 10 a.m. here on Bite Size. We have plenty more coming up, plenty of music, as you've come to expect. And we start things off with one song and one song only. Mahapecha, Shel Simcha, on a Wednesday on Bite Size right here on the Nachum Single Network. Shamati Yeah, man. 
قطعی دالش با ای زایی خیل زایی خیل دواری مربه ای کال و ای سک قطعی رالش با ای زایی خیل زایی خیل دواری مربه ای کال و ای سک قطعی رالش با Here on Bite Size, it's now time for Joanna Shepson's interview with Moshe Braun, the sofer in Israel. Here's Joanna with Moshe right here on Bite Size on the Nachum Siegel Network. 
Thank you, Yoni. Today's an exciting day for me because today I actually got to take Marco, my 10-year-old, out of school to join me on our uh, latest interview. We are in Ramat Beit Shemesh with Rabbi Moshe Braun, who is going to take us behind the scenes of the life of a sofer. He's going to give us a little bit of background about what his job as a sofer is like, the workshops that he runs, and uh, we're sitting in a beautiful Judaica gallery. So we'll, we'll get to talk about each of those things. Good morning, Rabbi Braun. How are you? Good morning. It's very, very nice to be here. Thank you very much, Joanne. So tell us a little bit about what a behind-the-scenes tour, behind-the-scenes SoFair tour is all about. Well, the behind-the-scenes SoFair tour started really out of um, just fathers, parents bringing their bar mitzvah-age boys to the studio, wanting to find out more about how the tefillin are written. And I saw a need uh, very quickly to to provide a format for a, a short presentation for all types of people to come and find out how are tefillin made? Not just tefillin, but what does a sofer do? What does a sofer do? And, I, and in particular, I focus primarily on the writing aspect of being a sofer, but also I speak about all aspects of what a sofer does. I touch on the batim, uh, you know, which house the tefillin. I speak about mezuzah. I speak about uh, sefer Torah and klaf, um, all different aspects. And it's been a fa- fascinating Fascinating experience for all people of all backgrounds. Now, I know a lot of the tourists who come to Israel to visit and want to come with their families for a workshop. They want to know it's going to be hands-on. So how are the kids involved in the workshop? What are they doing with their hands? Well, first and foremost, um, I have everybody um, basically sitting around kind of around a table and I have everything out on the table. First, I pass around the hands-on begins with people being able to hold a mezuzah in their hands, touch parchment uh, before it's been used, looking at raw parchment before it gets cut, touching it. Also, the, the batim that, that house the, the parshiot for the tefillin, picking them up, looking at them, holding them, seeing what they look like um, as they're in process or in progress. And then looking at the uh, the final that the final product, holding and touching the gid, which is looks like the which is the uh, material we use to sew up the batim, um, and then and then the hands-on really really gets it gets to be really intense, so to speak, and just you know really special experience when when they came to hold a, a quill, a feather quill, look at the ink, and then ultimately when I have little you know small pieces of parchment. And pen, you know, feather pens, kumusim prepared, and allow people to give them a chance to try to write, you know, to, to, and that is really where people, some really, really special, some really, really special things have happened that I see that I, it's amazing to watch children, not just adults, but certainly children, when they, when they pick up the pen, when they pick up the feather pen and they begin to write, it is the look on their faces. It's like it's wow. It's they've never experienced anything, and the parents. It's a beautiful experience. Well, it's really nice because a lot of times, you know, you get used to what you see in everyday life, and you're you're seeing a sefer Torah, you're seeing the tefillin, the mezuzah, but you're not thinking about what goes into to making them. So, let's. I want. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your background and your history and what what you used to do before you became a sofer and what brought you into Judaica art because you're not just a sofer. You also produce stunning pieces of art. I'm sitting here and I see paper cutting and calligraphy and landscapes of, of Israel and some beautiful pieces of art. So tell us a little bit about your background. 
Um, so I'm from the United States, and I grew up in a conservative, you know, traditional home uh, where I went to public school all my life, and I was always, always involved in art. Art was ever since I was very, very young. And my parents encouraged my art, and I was always in art class, and then in high school in honors art. And my art teacher in high school encouraged me to pursue my art, and she encouraged me to go to art school. I did. I went to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and I studied industrial design in the art school there, which is product design, three-dimensional design. And it's kind of like a, a hybrid of, between art and mechanical engineering. And there, um, over the time when I was in university, my my interest, my need, I think, to explore my Judaism really, really came to the fore. And over the four years when I was in university, I became observant, Shomer Torah in, in mitzvahs, and I had a desire to learn and study more. At the same time, when I left university, I felt the need to go into my, into my profession, which is what I did. I began to work in industrial design, specializing in products for people with physical disabilities. And very quickly in Chicago, I met a very special individual, and we formed a company to produce a new, a new type of product. And uh, I, I was in charge of the industrial design aspect of it. Um, to me, basically, I, my, my desire and my need to want to study more led me to leave the startup company and pursue, pursue my dream of studying actually full-time in yeshiva, which I did in, first in Chicago. And then with my, with my wife, we left, and when our son was six weeks old, we left to come to, to Israel. I studied in Yerushalayim at Yeshiva Darchenoam Chappelle's in Yerushalayim. And that is where there, when I really began to ask serious questions about what am I going to be doing, I really, with, with, in, in my, with my future, um, I really wanted to go into the rabbinate. And, but every single one of my teachers, my rabbim, my mashbiyam, said to me, no, they said, use your art. Find a way to, to use your art and to, to, to make an impact in this world with your art. That's a beautiful story. Can you, can you actually even pinpoint the first time when your art turned into Judaica for the first time? Well, the first time, first time was when we were engaged, and I, we needed a ketubah, obviously. So I was exposed to the idea of making a handmade ketubah, and I just got, my, got some materials together. I went to the store in Chicago. I bought a calligraphy pen. And together with uh, with my rabbi, I identified the the nusach, the text for the ketubah, and uh, and I, and I made our ketubah. That was the first. That was my first piece of quote unquote Judaica. And you're also a master in paper cutting. Was that something you used to do also, or when you started working in Judaica, you incorporated paper cutting? I again, I, I as I began to become aware of Judaic Jewish art forms. Um, and researching them, I very quickly, you know, became aware of paper cutting. I was never, never had any experience with paper cutting before. But is it connected? Jewish art and paper cutting is connected. It it is connected. It is connected. Jewish artists have been for hundreds of years have been using paper cutting. Have been involved in paper cutting. Um, but be, and because I had skills as an industrial designer, working with prototyping models made not made out of paper, cardboard, different types of materials and drafting experience, I just use all those tools and I just I taught myself how to paper cutting. So it's amazing. When I do these radio interviews, I always say, Chaval, that you can't see the pictures of this, the beautiful things that I'm seeing. But I'm looking at a, 
um, besamim, basically, that's a paper cut in the shape of a besamim holder with Havdalah written inside. And um, obviously, Ketubot, Birkat Habayit. You have so many different, although, I, oh, when this one over here is my favorite because there is a picture of one of the gates of Jerusalem and the way that, he, that Moshe has done the paper cutting and the um, special parchment behind it, it makes it look like it's actual Jerusalem stone with 3D dimensions. Um, when you're sitting down and you're say, you say to yourself, I want to start and create an, a piece of art, do you start with a pasuk? Do you start with a drawing? Do you, where does it start from? Um, it really starts, each piece is different. Each piece is different, but I, it starts oftentimes with the inspiration of a particular tefillah, a pasuk, a bracha, um, something that I, there's something that speaks to me that I have thoughts about, visions about, ideas about, inspiration. It, it, it oftentimes it does start, as a matter of fact, each piece really starts either with a pasuk, you know, either with text or in some of the pieces I've done with um, themes or ideas in Judaism or sp- specifically places here in Eretz Yisrael that are, um, that, are, that are holy places, that are holy places. Beautiful. So um, I just to let the listeners out there know, next time you come to Israel, you can set up a hands-on sofer, behind-the-scenes sofer workshop. You can come out and see Moshe's beautiful, beautiful Judaica artwork, hear some of the stories about the inspiration for each piece. And the best way to be in touch with him is to send an email to sofer, S-O-F-E-R, at funinjerusalem.com. And uh, we're, we're hoping we're going to see a lot more of Moshe and his artwork all over Yerushalayim, all over the world. W- tell us just a little bit about where you've sold pieces to. Is it just in Israel? Uh, no, it, it is. I've, I've sold work um, in the United States as well. Uh, that's when I've actually been you know, in the United States. But I sell work to people who come here to Israel literally from all over the world. Um, I, I, I would say most of the, most of the people either live in Israel or do come from North America, but definitely, definitely people who are here from Europe, from Asia, from South Africa, from Australia, from South America, really every single, I, 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 it's a real bracha to be able to say that my work is now, I guess, on, on every continent in the world Except for not except for Antarctica, not yet. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, for a tourist also who comes to visit and is able to come home with this type of piece of art that they can hang in their dining room and living room and, and just always be inspired. Um, it really is inspirational to be sitting here in your studio, and I'm so excited that we got to meet you and that I got to bring Marco to meet you and that he got to test out drawing with calligraphy with a quill. So uh, remember, you can reach Moshe at sofer at funinjerusalem.com. And now back to you, Yoni. Thank you, Joanna, and thank you, Moshe. Again, that's Moshe Braun, the sofer in Israel. For Joanna, if you'd like to contact Joanna, it's it's really, uh, what is it? We're almost two months away from winter break, actually less than two months away from winter break. And if you are traveling to Israel, you, you're looking for a fun activity for your friends, for your family, you'll want to check out funinjerusalem.com. Contact Joanna there. Uh, just check the website. You'll probably find a lot of fun things. But if you're looking for something more specific, she'll help you out. Again, Joanna at funinjerusalem.com. You'll want to check her out there. Tell her we sent we, Bite Size, Yoni Pollock, Miriam Wallach, everyone here at the Nachum Segal Network, we sent you there. Tell her that. She'll appreciate it, and certainly we will. Uh, so thank you, Joanna, for that interview. Plenty more coming up. Tova Kanech comes up at 10 a.m. with her interview. Back to music right here on Bite Size on the Nachum Segal Network.
the world make over. Mashiach will come take over. You ain't gotta be me or see what I see. All you gotta do is take a look forward. Lift up your eye to the sky. Spread out your hands. Say thank you. Smile. Get them up. Put them up. Leave them up. Ha ha. Yep, yep. Pump up the value every day. Stand in place. Heart racing. No words to say. Pressure building. Trying to hold my face. Mind drifting like not today. Wake up from everything. Break out your shell and scream. Ha shim. You're the king. Ha shim. You're the king. Hashem Elech, Hashem Alach, Hashem Imloch, Le'olam Va'em. Hashem Elech, Hashem Alach, Hashem Imloch.
של תור בדואר, קשה לגמור פה תואר, והמצב בנוער, קשה לשיר כמו יואלי, להתעורר בבוקר, להיכנס לכושר, שחיתות בכל שבועיים, פיגוע כל יומיים, טוב, דיברנו מספיק, כפינו תודה, עכשיו נחזור אחורה אל הבסיס, זמן לומר תודה. תודה על הרוח, שאין לי זמן לנוח, על התיקון, על המהות, תודה על היהדות. אין לנו זכות בכלל להתלונן, הכל פוחמסה וברוך השם כי החיים שלנו תותים, החיים שלנו תותים, החיים שלנו תותים, החיים שלנו
two here on Bite Size, and it's time for Tova Connect's interview with Miriam Gottlieb. She is the donor relations manager for the Hesder Yeshiva of Sterot. So here is Tova with Miriam right here on Bite Size on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you, Yoni. I'm sitting here on the rooftop of the new beautiful Orient Hotel overlooking the old city walls with Miriam Gottlieb, the donor relations manager of Yeshiva at Hesder Sterot. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tova. Thank you for having me. Before we talk about all about Stay Road and the yeshiva, the Hezer Yeshiva there. Let's hear about who you are and uh, how you got to Israel. Um, about 11 years ago, I made Aliyah with my family. My oldest was 10, almost 11, and my youngest was six months old. Wow. I made Aliyah with my husband and four kids. And we made Aliyah straight to Neve Daniel in Gush Etzion. And we have not regretted it even one day since. Wow. We are... We love Neve Daniel. It is a warm, friendly community with great schools in the area and lots of choices of schools. And 
um, an amazing rub of the community who like surprises us every day with his insight about people and understanding that he has Olim in his community and he's learned English to be able to communicate with us in, in a way that we understand and his Hebrew is very careful and slow and understandable so that he makes us all feel welcome which is amazing wow. and um so, we're only 20 minutes from Yerushalayim, yeah. so, you know, we live in a suburb, but we also get all the benefits of the city, right. which um, is one of the big reasons we picked Gush Etzion. Uh-huh. Um, we liked the the idea of Yishuv, where the gate gets closed on Shabbat, and our kids can come and go as they please and have extreme freedom, uh-huh. but we also like being near a city and having all the benefits of shopping and and offices and things like that in the city so uh-huh. that's basically my my aliyah story so people that are thinking about aliyah they should open their eyes to Goshetion? absolutely absolutely except that housing is uh, hard to find and expensive at this uh-huh. point um much more so than it was 11 years ago when we went to look when we were looking there they were um there was more building and it was less expensive uh-huh. but um, but it's a great community for families who are there. And there are more city-like um, areas and more Yishuv-like settlements. So it's really, um, you can find what you're looking for there, and it's a great place to look. In terms of my background professionally, yeah, I've been in Jewish nonprofit for the last 25 years or so um, in various capacities, um, from teaching to um and Kirov to event planning and dinners and things like that. And when I came to Israel, um, I was in Opan for a few months and then I was looking for a position and I was the um, the director of development for Standing Together, an organization thanking Chayalim for, um, for almost 10 years. Yeah. And then recently I, um, I went on, out on my own and was doing some fundraising consulting and some and some writing, consulting, and things like that. And um, a friend approached me before Sukkot to work on a project for the Hesder Yeshiva in Stay Road. Uh-huh. They did, um, we did a Sukkot program on Cholomoed where the Yeshiva opened up the Sukkah and had um, a fun, had all kinds of fun activities for kids. And the ambassador, um, Ambassador Friedman, yes. came down to Stay Road and we had um, a reception for him. And he actually um, was at the groundbreaking for our new rocket proof dorm, which is one of the things that I'm working on raising funds for. And he made the first donation officially to wow. the um, to the new dorm that we're building. So let, let's just backtrack a tiny bit just sure. to give everybody um, an image of where Stay Road is on the map in Israel. Right. So Stay Road is in the south of Israel on the border with Gaza and um, has been under rocket fire um, for, years. for years and years. And, and actually recently, thank God, Bli Ayn Hara, it has, been, quiet. it has been quiet over the last couple of years. It should continue but, like that. Yeah. Um, and we hope for the safety of our people that it really continues. Yeah. But, um, but realistically. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, it's not likely given the fact that they just, you know, that the army just blew up a tunnel. Oh, um, yes. With that was coming straight to the state road area. So we know the intentions of our neighbors. Exactly. So we have to. Um, be so we have to be prepared and protect yeah. against um, the harm, harm coming to our student to the students in the yeshiva. Yeah. Um, but over for at least for about ten years, the um, for about the last ten years, the city of State Road has been under a barrage of rockets, and so for years, um, people stayed, and then. After a while, they they left to find um, more secure um, housing and and jobs because people who were 
living in and out of bomb shelters and waking up in the middle of the night every few minutes to go running to a shelter, um, it was very hard for them to maintain a a normal lifestyle. Right. So um, actually a lot of them, a lot of people from the city moved out to other places. Wow. um, But the yeshiva has really been the stronghold in that in that city for community. for years yeah. and um now thank god since the since things have been quiet the city is rebuilding uh-huh. and um it's growing and their businesses have moved down there when i started driving down there regularly now i see that there are like big office buildings and factories being built That's because it, it got to the point where real estate was was inexpensive <laughs> there and so right. so businesses did move down there they they're they do their best to protect their employees and their and their interests, but um, it really Stayrote is one of those places that was never considered um, territories. It was always part right. of Israel, right, of and without even a question. But it's been it's been under fire for so long, and the yeshiva, despite all of the um, all of the difficulties, the yeshiva has been one of the main places of growth in the city consistently and the yeshiva now has satellite um, programs in Kiryat Gat and um, recently opened a girls midrashah which is the first one in the south from what wow. I understand um, the first girls midrashah post high school uh-huh. um, for girls who are thinking about doing Sherut Lumi or moving on to other things after high school to really solidify their Torah education and even get some some um, extra strengthening in their in different types of experiences because a lot of girls when they go off to Sherut Lumi don't necessarily have teaching experience or um, experience to be counselors in these programs that they're now becoming the heads of right. or the, the right. volunteers in. So the Midrashah both gives them Torah education and and guidance um, in their future in their future endeavors. And this year was the first year of this program and they had 20 students. 20 they students started right yeah. with 20 students because and that's um, the minimum that you need for government help Funding, and, yeah. and um, they're hoping for it to grow and to build their own building. Right now, they're, the classes are in a shul. Uh-huh. And, um, and they're dorming where? And they, they're, they're dorming nearby. There's an uh-huh. apartment building, I think, okay. that they rented some apartments in. And um, they're dorming nearby, but they would like to have build their school. own building and yeah. have their own school and hope that it grows significantly over the next few years. How many, does, how many boys are in the, in the Hezri? The whole yeshiva it's, um, has about 900 students in different... It, it, they have a couple of satellite programs, yeah. but if you add it all up together, and they have, you know, the Hezder, and they have post-Hezder, and... Um, so it's a total. It's a total of about 900 students, uh-huh. and um, the base medrash at any given time is bustling. is hot, bustling and hopping. Yeah. I've um, you know I've been down there and, and looked in, and it's just amazing to see at, on a daily basis the the amount of activity that's going on in this city that has been depressed. Right. And wow. um, they're they're growing. The yeshiva is growing, and to see it is beautiful. And um, one of the one of the landmarks in Stayrote is the menorah on the roof of the yeshiva, yes, and um, you could really see from that um, from that lookout point, you could see the entire southern region of Israel. And the menorah is made and out the, of the rockets. Exactly. That were fired the, in. the the menorah has. There's an artist. Um, I apologize. I do not remember the name offhand. It's okay. But the um, the artist collected the remnants of these rockets yes. and has made and made this beautiful menorah to stay 
to really make a statement to the yeah. world to say these rocket the Jews turn turn horrible things into good right and Israel turns horrible things into good and you want to destroy us we're gonna we're gonna st be strengthened back right as our response and so this menorah is a symbol of the strength of the city of Sterot and a symbol of the heroism of the Jewish people and how under fire we still survive and we still flourish and so the menorah is situated on the rooftop of the yeshiva and we invite visitors all the time to come see wow. it and to come experience the heroism and and really see what we're what the jewish people have been able to turn this horrible this horrible torture into yeah no i was watching some videos just to really try to feel i haven't Baruch Hashem, i haven't experienced something like that but just to see what the community goes through and there was a man that was interviewing some people on the playground and the playground was full of children. And then all, the, all of a sudden the Tseva Dome siren goes off. And literally these children have 15 seconds to run for safety for their lives. And you see them rushing off the, the, you know, the playground. And it's just, it's a very sad reality um, that people have to go through. Right. Yeah. The truth is, one of the other organizations that I've done some work for yeah. is an organization that helps, that teaches kids in schools in the south of Israel tools to deal with the trauma. Uh -huh. that is happening to them and so that the next time they hear it's of Adom they instead of just freezing in fright yeah. they have inner inner mind and body tools to work with the to in order to be able to survive um, emotionally yeah. and to see the the things that these children have gone through over the last over their entire lives because right. when you when you talk about a four or five year old yeah. this has been their whole life they don't know any other life. existence right. other than running to bomb shelters and to right. a dome it's a and it's it's part of their way of life and and one of the um major things that the yeshiva is is participating in right now and one of the things that i'm raising funds for and i'm actually um within a couple the next couple of days heading out to visit different communities in the united states to explain to them what we're doing and why and the how the yeshiva is really involved in strengthening this the city this isn't about give money to a has their yeshiva to educate our our students which is important but it's not of course, yeah. it's not the the yeshiva is also focused in a way that i've never seen another yeshiva do is focused on the strength of the city and um so our biggest project that we're raising funds for right now in addition to the rocket proof dorm is a heritage center so people come from all over the world and and the army brings their soldiers to see what they're working for right so who people they're protecting and who they're, who they're protecting right. and what their purpose is right so tourists and students and soldiers come to stay wrote from all over the place to try to understand what stay wrote has gone through and to strengthen to give to be in solidarity with the city the problem is that there's no one place for them to go to really learn exactly what we're talking about right and so there are different sites that they go visit but there's no one central place where they can learn this information so in conjunction with the israeli government the yeshiva is building what we're called what is called a Beit hagvura a, a, house a house of, of strength, strength. Yeah. so the stay road heritage center which is right now the building shell is built and we're um the government has matched fund has given us matching That's funds wonderful. up wow. to two million dollars wow. to build this so the outside is the shell is built 
and we're raising funds for the inside of what's going to be a very modern interactive experience for people to understand the true experience of the Stay Rope people and it's a monument to heroism. It's not a monument to a specific hero. Right. It's really about having a an understanding of the heroism of the Jewish people yeah. and the heroism of the state of Israel and how we hold on to every little bit we possibly can and because it, it's ours right. and it's our land and, and no matter what we go through in order to keep it, we keep it. And um, that's what this Heritage Center is all about. And so um, I'm going to be visiting. I know I'm going to be in the New York, New Jersey area. I'm going to be in South Florida. I'm going to be in the Washington, D.C. area. And I'm going to be talking to communities about what this Heritage Center means and how we can help build it. So I'll link uh, places that you'll be speaking in the post, but you could tell us now also where specifically do you have places already that you know that you're going to be speaking? So um, it's mostly in people's homes. I'm going to be speaking in somebody's home in Great Neck. I'm going to be speaking in somebody's home in Northern Virginia. I'm um, working on Silver Spring. I'm working on some more communities in in New York and New Jersey. I'm actually open to anybody who wants to host host a meeting and a get-together for people to understand. So um, you can email me me. It's mgottlieb at stayrote.org. Okay. It's a pretty easy email address to remember. I'll put the link on the post, yeah. And um, if, if you want to hear more, I'm happy to, anybody who wants to hear more, I'm happy to speak to them. Fantastic. Okay, so Stay Road has something going on right now for people to really get involved in, to raise money. What's the fun way that they uh, can get involved? Well, anybody who would like $10,000 $10, in cash <laughs> or free tickets to the Super Bowl, um, including flights and hotel from New York, flights from New York and hotel, uh-huh. um, there's a raffle going on. It's, you can go to stayroad.org okay. and um, purchase raffle tickets to be part of this incredible project because you get to help and you get to potentially win something amazing and go to the Super Bowl and go to the Super Bowl which is you know one of those things everybody wishes they could do once and or more than once and um, also if there's there are incentives for anybody who wants to sell raffle tickets Uh so say you have a student in your family who can't necessarily pay for a raffle ticket but if he or she wants to make a bunch of phone calls and sell 10 tickets they could get three raffle tickets free for themselves a lot of incentives to help out stay wrote I love it. it. It's 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 a fun way to give tzedakah. I love it. Okay, so before we end off, first of all, thank you so much for enlightening us all about what's going on in Stay Road and how we can help. Um, if you could think of one place in Israel that you could call your Israel happy place, what do you think you would call? There's a lot of them. That's really hard <laughs> um, because I think that different places at different times, like. Uh-huh. The fact that I can get in the car and be in the co- be at the hotel in a half an hour, yeah. and it's not a project to right. do, yeah. is incredible to me. And the fact that my kids made a seum for the, each of my kids when they got to for, or were in first grade. Yeah. Obviously, the ones that were right. older than that when we made Aliyah didn't get to do it. But my younger kids um, made a seum for, with school on Sefer Bereshit, on the lawn of Marat HaMachpelah. Wow. And so, you know, the fact that we live and we live in a place that we live Torah. Right. Is, Torah comes to life here. Is, is alive. Like, every place that you read about is here. Right. And so they're all, it's all part of this picture of you pick up your family and you go and it's it's a challenge for sure to make Aliyah. But when you when you see things like that, like that your kids can be on the lawn of Marat Hamachpela when they learn about Barishid. Yeah. And that they your kids can be at the Kotel when they get their sitter. And your kids oh, yeah. can be 
um, can be in the army and defending the place that they daven for every day right. um, is is why you do it and is what it's makes incredible. it worth it. And that, you know, every once in a while we get these, this is what is worth it moments. And the truth is, I love to share this story. It's one of my first stories after we made Aliyah, is that my son, who was in sixth grade, came home from school, one of the first weeks of school, very frustrated. And he said, I can't do my homework. I don't understand anything. And my husband said, come sit down with me. I'll do it with you and read the book. So open the book. What are you, what are you learning? And he opens the book and he starts reading about Yoshua. Uh And he looks at my husband and my husband said, what kind of homework? what homework is this and he says historia history right and so he continues reading a little my husband was reading with him and then he looks at him and he said abba this isn't history homework this is tanakh <laughs> and we got to say this amazing line here history is tanakh i love that and that is one of my love favorite that. you know here i am 11 years later still telling the story when this this Going into this beginning of sixth grade boy is now a Khatan who has finished the army and is learning in a Hasdar Yeshiva. Um, I still am amazed that this is is still 100% of a description of why we live here. I love that after 11 years of you living here, you still have that... I you still know, love that, that story. Passion to be here. Absolutely, absolutely, Amazing. every day, and um, it's fun to visit the states, and it's fun to go meet new people, and and go right. on these these trips where I get to meet new people and see new communities, and it reinforces all the time that it's a great place to visit. But I'd really like to live here to come home back to Israel. Absolutely, I love that. Well, Miriam, it was so wonderful hearing your story, and I wish you continued success with Stayrote, and I hope that I have a chance to hopefully visit Stayrote soon. I haven't been there myself yet. Soon you'll come with me. I'll, I'll pick you up and we'll we'll yes. go down one day. Perfect. We're only 20 minutes away. You shall aim to go Shetzion. Right. Close, and then and, and uh, Stay Road only uh, is a little over an hour. Amazing. So I really hope I get a chance to uh, check out the Heritage Center when it's up and built and hopefully with everybody that's listening, with their help, it will be very shortly. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your help. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you, Yoni. Back to you. Thank you, Tova, and thank you, Miriam. That's Miriam Gottlieb again. She is the donor relations manager for the Hesder Yeshiva of Stero. And if you uh, came in towards the end of the interview and you want to check it out, go to tovainisrael.com, Tova in Israel on Facebook. She'll have the video up for you. Uh, knowing her probably this second, she already has it up. So check it out, Tova in Israel on Facebook. And uh, check out all her interviews. She has them all posted up there. More coming up on Bite Size. We'll have music, and then it's the uh, segment that has really no name, but but kind of does. Maybe we should just name it that. The segment that has no name. It's with Miriam L. Wallet coming up at, I don't know, usually 10 minutes before the end of the show, maybe 15 minutes before, whenever Miriam decides to take the mic and press the button open. Uh, that's when we'll kick it off. So uh, back to music here on Bite Size, and then the segment that has no name comes up later, right here on Bite Size on the Nachum Single Network.
Sometimes I lay under the moon And thank God I'm breathing And I pray don't take me soon Cause I am here for a reason Sometimes in my tears I drown But I never let it get me down So when negativity surrounds I know someday it'll all turn around Because all my life I've been waiting for I've been praying for For the people to say That we don't want to fight no more There'll be no more war And our children will play One day, one day, one day Souls of the innocent, blood transparent, keep on moving though the water stay raging. In this maze, you can lose your way, your way. It might drive you crazy, but don't let it face you. No way, no way. Sometimes in my tears, I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday.
history I've been through. Ask me where I'm from, and I will tell you I'm a Jew, and every Jew's a proud Jew. Not just me, my sisters and my brothers. Never be ashamed to be a proud Jew. It's not what you've done, it's how he made you. So sing this song and spread the pride around you. Yehudiani, eternally. Hey Abraham, it's Bite size. Good morning, Miriam Alwalk. She's right here next to me. Good morning, Yoni. All right. So I decided a few things. A, we I think originally we said we were going to name this segment. Is that a thing? I think we're just going to name it the segment that has no segment name. The, the segment that has no name. I thought we were going to call it Yoni and the Old Girl. So you could call it that. I'm going to okay. keep it like this just because I kind of feel a l- not so bad, but a little bit bad. I, that's cute that you feel bad. A little bit. Okay. I just Can we just rewind for yeah, a second? Rewind. Because I, I, I caught your intro. Yeah. And I just want to say that I have no idea what you're talking about. And the whole thing, I, I mean, literally, like I, I've listened numerous times to After Further Review. Right. And I find that show incredibly entertaining. Thank you. With and without Seth. <laughs> yeah. But I, I totally have no idea what fantasy, I just, it's a whole different language. And I, I am thinking of including the phrase, uh, get uh, hit between the numbers in my daily vernacular. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's it's clearly what the cool kids are saying. It's what the yeah, ask your, yeah, ask like oh my gosh, I didn't uh, like boom, I just got like hit between the numbers. Is that a, can I use it that way? It's just uh, I don't know, but the truth is, uh, one day I'll admit on after further review, I used a 
a uh, phrase you use a lot, the square peg. Square peg round hole. Round hole. And yeah. it, it really worked perfectly because there's a certain player on a certain team that, that peg round hole. doesn't fit. And I was like, oh, and that was attributed to you. And well, I didn't mention you. that, but now thank I will. You. I'll give you credit for that. All right, let's start this one segment. Second, one second. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm I sorry. also want to say something else about fantasy football. Okay. Yeah, is that I, I know you had so many opinions about it. Well, it's not so much. It's more a tremendous lack of, of knowledge and unbelievable confusion. Okay. Why? Because on Shabbos, I was reading something in the paper, and there was this whole thing. What are some of the um, fantasy um, fantasy team like websites? Uh, you have Roto World. I mean, ESPN does their own thing, and CBS really. Uh, no, almost... those weren't the ones that are. Anyway, it talked about the value of the players for that week for the upcoming. Oh, so that could be daily fantasy. You could be talking about FanDuel and DraftKings. Yeah, yeah, those them. That's okay. them. That's yeah. them. That's them. Anyway, That's daily I'm, fantasy. I'm literally trying to read this. It makes it's like complete Greek. I have no idea, and I. Well, and... you're just building a team based on those players. What you expect to happen for them? But why so. do they have a value? Because what happens? The best player in, in football can't equal can't be the same amount of money, if you will, as as the third receiver on the Jets. Just you'd much rather have the best receiver like Antonio Brown than Jeremy Curley of the Jets. It's so just, when it's when somebody I don't know, okay, I don't, so there has to be an assigned value. Let's say Antonio Brown is seven thousand dollars and Jeremy Curley is only three thousand dollars, and you're you're assembling a team and you only have let's say thirty forty thousand dollars. So you have to try to assemble the best value per player. So you might okay. want to stack your team with four great players and then four bad players or some sort of mix. Okay. So in theory, this all makes sense. Like we're talking about real things. Right. But what's amazing to me is just how much of a world this is. Oh, it's crazy. Right. It's wild. That, that's really the bottom line I was trying to get to is that you did your whole opener about fantasy football, which is in a language I do not understand. Not fair. And I'm reading this in the paper going, I don't, I don't even understand what this means. And you are having a conversation with me as if not only does it make complete sense, but you already have all of the info set down in your head. <laughs> like you've conversed about this. It's almost as insane as the way I talk about West Wing. Uh, See? Yeah, I mean, listen. Yeah. I, fantasy sports is a big part of my life. Thank God I, I don't do it every night, as in those daily fantasy things, because I could really just get out of hand. Right, and it does for people. But I'm uh, sure, hence the gambling issues. Right, exactly. Yeah. But um, you know, every, football is every week, and and baseball, I guess, is as ev- every day. But I, I play just the whole season instead of daily. So whatever, that doesn't mean much to you. All right, no, it doesn't, and I'm more confused than I was five minutes ago. So let's move on. I apologize. All right, yeah. so this week's segment that has no name, we're going to discuss. Something you actually tagged me in Facebook Monday night, uh, like the I don't game know, show, the I Japanese am. game show, the Japanese game show. Now, now, um, you, one second. Had you seen it? I had seen it. Oh, of course you had. <laughs> of course I have. Get it. Uh, for those of you that don't know, and I was gonna actually gonna play the clip on here, and then I was like, it's probably better to just describe it than well, to I would just do play both. The audio. I would play the audio and then talk and, over and it. Talk. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So let's pull it up. Yeah, here. because. It's what's it called? Slippery steps. Slippery stairs. It's Slippery in stairs. short. It's a, um, and it's actually it's been all over American. It's been all over like my Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, social media. It's hot over social media. Um, but it is absolutely the most ridiculous thing. Do they look like Power Rangers to you? By the way, of course. Not only do they look like Power Rangers or members of Blue Man Group, um, but I also think that it's super funny that the premise of the the entire premise of this game show is yeah. having people, um, in these ridiculous one-piece bodysuits, brightly colored bodysuits, walk up a set of steps that are insanely slippery. What what makes it slippery? I don't know. I haven't... slime? I don't know. I don't know. But the craziest part to me is that they have to wear helmets. 
that there's such a danger of yeah, them right. falling and hitting their funny. heads in walking well, up. Well, they wipe out constantly. I don't know if it's oh the, hitting them heads on the, like, the floor or more as a, just another person. It's crazy, the whole thing. I mean, you have no control whatsoever. It's so cool. All right, so I'm going to pull up the start the way, right is it, here. Is it, it's Japanese? Yeah, it's the the title on YouTube that I pulled up is Funny Japanese Game Show. Slippery Stairs. Who knew the Japanese were so funny? So what's going on here is all six are you opponents. Gonna post, are you going to post the, the, the clip? Maybe I should. All yeah. six opponents are uh, trying to go up these stairs right now as we speak. They're all six different colors, and, and the stairs are very slippery. So right now they're actually all pretty much bunched together. Some are going faster than the others. They're really just going really slow. You think it's like as hard as they make it show, seem here? Uh, Yoni, I don't know what they cover those steps in. First of all, it's steep steps. I mean, not crazy steep, but they're not. Those four people just slipping <laughs> into each other because one person up top just slipped. Oh, that's it. And it just Game wipes over. out three people. It's almost like they're sheets of ice. You think it's ice? It's I don't like- know. I don't know. I don't know. I can't figure it out. I don't know what that white is. The steps are white. They look like ice white. Could it be like a Vaseline? No, it's no. not be no, enough. It, right, and it would be... Right, that's more like goopy. This is like momish slippery. Yeah. I like. The, by the way, I like the Japanese announcer. He's doing an amazing <laughs> job. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Great play-by-play. Anyway, this goes on for nine minutes. It's it's that hard. It's not like, all right, right. someone figures it out in two minutes. No, there, I think I... I actually watched the whole thing. I think at two different points, someone got all the way to the last step and then just slipped. You would think at some point you would try to like jump, but I guess you, you just can't. have no There's grip. No There's footing. no footing. Yeah. Just... There's no footing. Um, but also, like one thing I don't understand about this whole game show is, um, how do you watch it every night? Like Wheel of Fortune. You don't think you can watch this every night? No, I think after because a couple at some point, of it's just the same. It's stupid. I don't know. There are a lot of people saying that this should be an Olympic sport. No, stop it! It's enough. We have curling. This could be funner. This is More not fun. a sport. Yeah, I'm going to pass over that. It's not a sport. There's nothing sport-related. There's no You don't have to be an athlete? No. What are you, training Do for you this? you sweat? You're training sweat. to walk up steps? Slippery, Slippery steps. steps. Why is this a sport? I already have issues with ping pong. I'm really sorry, SD Ackerman. I really have issues with curling. I really Curling is ridiculous. Curling's fun. What's curling not like fun? fun. It's like cool. It's like... You sweep away at a, I think we should a, practice in the I hall. Think what is, yeah, that'll go over <laughs> well. <gasps> Could you imagine a promo video of the three of us curling? Curling. Ooh, for the Winter Olympics. Let's uh, discuss when is that. The, when is the Winter Olympics? It's, it's soon. But th- so do you know, by the way, these Japanese game shows, there are like a few of them that are actually really good. I don't. Have you ever seen any of the other ones? Have we met? Just like a clip of any of them. Have we met? So there's one like that I remember from like... computer. <laughs> there's yeah. like one that I remember from like a year or two ago where you have... I guess you're 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 in a group. So it's two people go at a time and you're on the same team and you have to um, shape your body. A Kind of a puzzle piece comes at you and you have to shape your body like whatever that piece is and it has to go through. Okay. So this piece is coming at you. You have to contort your body, let's say, in, in, in a certain letter, in a certain shape, and then the puzzle piece comes. And, and if you get through the hole, then great. If not, you just get pushed and you lose. Okay. So, and it's really cool. Like, they have some brilliant ideas. No, I, I think I, there's something in the back of my head that makes this slightly familiar. But clearly, you cannot be um, slightly rotund in any way, shape, or form. because It would be tougher. It would be more difficult to have a puzzle piece fly over you. Through you. Yeah, yeah right. whatever it is. Yeah. Or you fly through. Right, Scoot exactly. through. 
but I don't, I've seen also just other ones. I feel like there's been like random like shopping ones. Though in my head, I'm thinking of Shop Till You Drop. Old enough to know that one. And you don't know that channel? No. Shop Till You Drop? No. I can't even think what channel it was on. It was one of those obscure ones. But um, no, they but have I, some funny game shows. There was a game show on in the background of the bagel store the other day. And um, and it's it's going on. And I'm looking at it going, I don't even know what that is. I'm like, what is what that? And I'm like, is that Price, of, Price is Right? Because they have, the, they have the, 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 the labels on. Right. The name tags. And somebody you know, goes, other shows have that, too. So it seems they're yeah. like, no, that's Drew Carey. This is somebody else, and I'm like, oh, my bad. I would have no <laughs> on, idea. On the topic of game shows, did you see that that clip that was going around? I think over the weekend, this uh, I don't, maybe 13 year old boy that that was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire Kids Edition. Let's say, no, well, I should pull it up because I don't know, there is a kids edition. That show is still on. That those are two excellent questions that I wouldn't was not able to answer until this past week. Apparently, I, I mean, who even hosts that? Uh, you know who it was? I don't know if this name's going to ring a bell to you. Chris Harrison? No, I don't even know what you're saying. He is the host of The Bachelor and Bachelorette. Oh, I thought he played fantasy football. Okay. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, he might. He might. This, he might. All right, I've got it here. This was oh, this was from November 15, 2016, apparently. All right, but well, it's like it happened yesterday. Reason, it only uh, showed this up This is yesterday. a very pivotal part in the game because you are five questions away from a million. Okay. One question. I'm just going to get to that speed tip. it up a bit. Okay. Here's your new $50,000 question. Born nope, almost this exactly is not what I'm thinking of. Hold on. After the... We got to find the... Uh, the right clip. The right clip. Uh, no. No, still not it. Hmm. All right, but anyway, so this is the guy who's the host. He hosts The Bachelor. Yeah, that still was him. Who wants to be a millionaire? And this show of... is still on television, like currently? I can't tell if this is even on television. This was a 14-year-old. Who wants to be a millionaire kid? I'm trying to even think of the, uh, um, of like a keyword to type in that it'll pull up. I mean, I could just find it from anywhere on social media. I mean, the I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to ruin it. All right. Hold okay. on. Hold on. I thought this segment's only supposed to be 10 minutes. Yeah, it's fine. Okay, people, fine. people figure it out. Hold okay. on. Okay. I finally found it. So basically, I'm going to I'm gonna play for you the clip now. And uh, Okay. And and here we go. It's I'm going to actually, here, here's the question, because it's going to start with him starting to do the math in the head. This is a 14, 15-year-old kid, maybe? 13-year-old kid, maybe? The question is, if the Earth's 4.4... 4.54 billion year history were condensed into a single year. Jesus wouldn't show up until New Year's Eve at approximately what time? Okay. and I mean, I hear the words coming out of your mouth, but right. it almost sounds like fantasy football. Okay. Again. So, A, one hour before midnight, B, 15 minutes before midnight, C, one minute before midnight, or D, 15 seconds before midnight. Again, if the Earth's 4.54 billion year history were condensed into one year, Jesus wouldn't show up until New Year's Eve at approximately what time? So, you have to know. I would say you have to know a lot. Well, yeah. Yes. Okay. So here's here's if you how... can quantify Yoni, by the way, what you would have to know in order to answer that question, I'd be even more impressed. Than so I that, usually that's am. where I'm going to disagree. Ready? Here. Two point three million. So two point three million. I guess divide that by three hundred and sixty-five. So two point three million divided by. Let's see. That's about. He's doing this all in his head. Obviously. Two, but roughly. 3.6 million divided by 3.65 million divided by 365 is like 1 million divided by 100 or so 
I know. Hmm. What does the host look like? Hand on his chin. D, final answer. Shiva, that was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. <laughs> Your math is spot on. You got it! <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, he does he does all that math in his head and the answer is 15 seconds before midnight. Now, wait a minute. So what first, does he win? What number of questions? 100,000. That was 100,000. Yeah. So at first I'm like, "Wow, that's crazy." Like, wild. But then I then I was talking about it with my roommate and he's like, "Like, why is that wild?" I was like, "Okay, hold on. I never read the question. Let me look at it." And then I was like, Oh, that, that that seems pretty simple. Like, just make an educated guess. Four point five four billion year history into one single year means everything's going to be like like very very small. Jesus wouldn't show up until New Year's Eve. That's two thousand and seventeen years ago, right? That's how okay, that's how it works. Yeah. So two thousand whatever. I mean, in my head, that's divided by or whatever four point five four billion. I'm assuming that's just going to be a few seconds. Like like can be that so if anything it's maybe either one minute or 15 seconds before midnight it's not going to be 15 minutes or one hour that's just too long of a of a span that 2000 divided by 4.54 billion would fit into okay so okay okay so then Talking i was just like through, okay. i hear that right so i was just like all right d makes perfect sense that's probably what i what would were the four answers so one hour before midnight that's no chance because that's 124 that's right 15 minutes which i guess is um, I can't do that in my head, but divided yeah. by 60, divided by 60, divided by 24, whatever okay. it is. And then one minute before midnight, and then, which is, I guess, 1,600 minutes in a thing. So one, I don't know, you're right? showing off. Go and on. then 15 seconds before midnight, which I guess is divided by that, whatever. Um, anyway, so it, it's not as crazy. He was probably actually doing the math. That's why I'll give him credit. Like he, I right, assume he was working he was, it out. You're doing was, it from a logical point of view. Right, where just D makes the most sense. Right. I, mean, I could look like a fool if I answered D and got it wrong, but I don't know. That was just if I okay. on the spot had to do it quickly. Right. I think that the under the lights and the pressure and the stupid music in the background and being the fact that the kid sounds like he's like 12 or 13 and not 14 well, or Well, I've been under the lights, so I know what it's like. I know. I know. It's it, doing this math and spinning a wheel are just as equally as hard. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. By the way, uh, quickly, because I know we're running out of time and if Romy wants to get to the live lunch. I think we're out of time. That's fine. The, the On Wheel of Fortune, I was watching last week. And You're still watching it? Yeah, just sometimes. My roommate's like, well, we literally, 7 p.m. and we'll watch Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune together. That's so cute. Yeah, like, we're cute like that. That's so um, sweet. Yeah. And, um, You're lucky you like your roommates like that, by the yeah, way. You, do you know Wheel of Fortune? Whatever. So do they I spin, know Wheel of Fortune? Spin, because of me. You, right. You, they spin on the million. They kept it the whole game and got to the bonus round. So at that point, you have to spin another wheel. And if you happen to land on a million and get the bonus round right, you get the million. Anyway, they spin. Um they couldn't get the it was like baked zucchini or whatever was the bonus round they didn't get it and then it was it was a it was a father who's probably i don't know 60 70 and the daughter who's like 30 40 whatever oh, it was a team thing yeah and and it was a million and they didn't get it and the father just looks like he's about to have a heart attack on Aye. the show he's just like, <gasps> and it's like kind of sad a little funny but also kind of sad it's just like oh my god that would have been so like right. you always root for them to get the million cuz like why not um it was just a funny Cute, that was the whole sad thing? moment. Yeah, that was it. I just oh. thought I'd share that with you once we're on oh. the topic of games. All right, thank so you for we, joining so me. I think we're going overtime for that yeah, little yeah. story. No, it's a little not, bit we're much. Not, we're not. We're not. Sorry. Okay. Well, me. thank you for having me on for Yoni and the Old Girl and I the segment it. that has no name. And yes. thank you all for tuning in with me here on Bite Size on the Nahum Seal Network. A reminder: just download the NSN app on the Google Play Store or the App Store of your iPhone. Uh, and I'd like to wish you all a good day, happy Thanksgiving, and remind you that the bite size is always, always, always the right size.